For marketing agencies and social media managers looking to prove the value of their work, I've got something special for you. Agora Pulse is not only Social Media Examiner's tool of choice as an all-in-one social media management tool, it also allows you to track the traffic, conversion, and revenue from every social post, comment, and private message. Learn how to prove your social media ROI with a free training or a free trial by visiting agorapulse.com SME today. Again, agorapulse.com SME. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Andy Crestadina, and we're going to talk about how to analyze your content with Google Analytics. And in particular, we're going to take a look at educational content versus sales content and how you need to study your Google Analytics a little differently for each one of them. If you want to reach me, you can always email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. Now let's move on to today's awesome discovery. After mediating a crocodile family dispute, look at what Michael Stelzner discovered. Are you familiar with the scene first feature that Facebook has recently come out with in the last month or so? Basically what this allows you to do as a user of Facebook is to tell your um, Facebook feed to always see a particular person or pages content first. And, you know, people have been screaming for this kind of feature for a long time, and it's a marketer's dream. And basically what it allows you to do as a marketer is to train your Facebook fans to basically allow your content that they hopefully want to read to be seen at the top of their newsfeed. Now, the best way to do this uh, is to follow some instructions. And I created a little video. I'm, it's only a minute long. I'm going to play the clip. I'm going to tell you how you can get this video in just a few seconds. Here we go. In this quick video, I'm going to show you how you can make sure that your favorite Facebook pages, you never miss an update from them. I'm going to show you how to do this on desktop and on the iPhone. First of all, on the desktop, you navigate to your favorite page. Here I'm on Social Media Examiner. You hover over the Like button, and then you click See First. And what this will do is it'll make sure that you see all of the updates from this particular page at the top of your newsfeed. Now, if you're on a mobile device, you do the exact same thing. Click the like button on the page that you want to become a fan of. And you'll notice that this uh, thing here shows up called following. You click on the following and then you can choose to see first. And that's literally all there is to it. So now you can see it start here. And now whenever Facebook comes out with an update from Social Media Examiner, those updates will be seen in the newsfeed. That's how you do it on your mobile device and on your desktop device. So go ahead and do that for all of your favorite pages. Okay, so I know that you couldn't see this video, but I wanted you to hear it. It's, it's super simple to do. I mean, again, just to reiterate, if you're on a desktop, you click over the liked button because you've already liked it and you'll see the see first option. And uh, the same kind of thing happens on the mobile device. Now, this video that I created for you has been viewed like 25,000 times, and you can embed this video or share this video or do whatever you want with this video. 
And a lot of people, like 400 different um, pages, have already shared this video with their fans so that their fans will like, uh, or not like, but check the scene first box. Now, you know, the upside of this, of course, is everyone wants more visibility in the newsfeed. And if you're known at, as an organization who provides exceptional value to your fans, then they're, they're going to want to see this video. Uh, I will embed links in the show notes on how you can actually use this video. But even if you don't use this video, make your own video and train your fans, help them understand the value of checking the scene first box. AI has been a massive disruptive force over the past year. That's why we're excited to announce our brand new show, Introducing AI Explored. It's a weekly show hosted by me, Michael Stelzner. If you want to understand how to put AI to work, this is the show for you. Each week, we'll dive deep into using AI to your advantage. We're talking the practical, tactical stuff that I know you're probably craving. Search for AI Explored on your favorite podcast app and happy listening. And with that, let's transition over to today's awesome interview with Andy Crestadina. Helping you simplify your social safari. Here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Andy Crestadina. If you don't know who Andy is, you should. He is the author of Content Chemistry, which is in its third edition. He's also the co-founder of Orbit Media, a Chicago-based web design agency. And the reason he's on the show with me today is because he's a true Google Analytics expert. Andy, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Mike. Glad to be here. So today, Andy and I are going to explore Google Analytics, and we're going to dig into how do you know whether your content is actually delivering value for you uh, using Google Analytics. And we're going to kind of break down your educational content versus your sales content, and I'm kind of excited about this. Before we get started, Andy, let's step back for a second. How did you kind of first get your first um, toes dipped into the Google Analytics water, if you will? Sure. Well, I started doing analytics before there was Google Analytics. This is way back in 2000 and 2001. Building websites for clients, it was only months before I realized that there's much more to it than building the site and that to help someone get results, you need to have a lot of activity around that. The only way to really measure that activity is by looking at the stats. Back then, we all used Web Trends, which was a piece of software that downloaded all the log files and then ran a, you know, a program to generate charts from them. Analytics comes along and really just kind of revolutionized the industry and just stepped up all of our expectations about what's possible. Uh, never looked back and never stopped thinking about how to use these tools to make better decisions in marketing. Uh, so it's just been out of necessity, really. You know, it's funny because I remember back in the olden days using log file analysis kind of stuff, right? Which is kind of mm -hmm. what you're talking about, right? Isn't that what mm -hmm. Web Trends is? Yeah. And um, now Google Analytics wasn't always Google Analytics. It started out as like Urchin something or another, didn't it? We <laughs> That's used, right. We, we're using it back then? Yep, we used it back then. And here's a little bit of analytics trivia for you. And I know that you're a fan of this and maybe we'll talk about it. You know, campaign tracking, is they call it the UTM yeah. tracking. It stands for Urchin Tracking Module. Yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people now just kind of think of universal tracking measurement or something, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. it sounds like better that way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I think that's really cool. And, and, you know, urchin, what the heck is an urchin? Is that like that thing that's in the sea that if you step on it, you hurt your foot? I mean, I think that's what it is, right? Or yeah, the, the urchin logo was this like sp spiky blue ball. So I think it's a reference to that like to sea, sea urchin. creature. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's so cool. So, um, 
So basically what I hear you saying is you got into this because you were servicing your clients with web work mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they needed to know or you needed to prove to them that what you were creating for them was actually working, right? So what could Google Analytics not do in the past that it can do now? I'm just curious because like in the early days, it couldn't have been as sophisticated as it is right now, right? Right, right. Well, there's all kinds of things that it does pretty well that it's amazing that it does because it doesn't have access to your log files. So it does everything it does by using JavaScript on web pages to talk to cookies on visitors' computers and sending the data back to back to Google headquarters somewhere. So it's what the old tools did was they actually showed you, you know, the specific amount of time the person spends on pages, you know, how they move through the site, and it just uh, in some ways the data was more accurate because it's looking at the actual log files in its city, that are sitting on that server. Analytics is based on JavaScript, which might be turned off. It's talking to cookies, which might not be accepted. Uh, I'm blown away by how the Google engineers really make it work because it is kind of held together by duct tape. <laughs> it's amazing it works. So uh, it's doing lots of things that we didn't have access to before. I mean, no one really even talked about bounce rates and you know a lot of the metrics that we watch all the time because even though the tools were based on some sometimes better data, the log files, uh, they did much worse and much more basic analysis uh, where now we get uh, a lot more granular uh, metrics in here that we can make decisions from. And I think it's safe to say that Google Analytics is the universal standard right now, isn't it? It just blows everything else away. Wouldn't it be a tough time to be an, a, a salesperson for an analytics tool? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. the only thing that I can uh, that I can fathom, and maybe you know this already, which is knowing whether someone goes from a, a laptop to a mobile session, which I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, I, they're probably working on that kind of stuff, aren't they? They are, and they have done it. Uh, Universal Analytics now, um, there's not many sites doing it, but there is a way to add a user ID uh, to visits that will then follow that person as they move across uh, different platforms. I'm not sure if it, how well it works. I'm, I'm sure that it works just fine when the person is on a site where there's a login or like a member area. Right. Or, you know, but um, other than that, yeah, th- that's one of the giant gaps in analytics is because you know, I look at you, I'm, I, you know, I get your email, I open it on my phone, that's great. Later, I think of it, I bring it up on my desktop. Uh, you know, at home, I pull it up on my tablet. Analytics thinks I'm three different people. Right. Well, let's talk about where marketers seem to kind of get um, confused or lost or often make mistakes when it comes to Google Analytics. What are, what, are, what are some of the things that a lot of marketers don't seem to be doing right when it comes to their analysis with Google? Well, we've talked before about all the setup problems. You need to filter out your own traffic using an IP filter. You need to set up goals telling Google what your thank you pages are. There's a whole handful of things there that are really important that are kind of one-time, set it and forget it, you got it done right things. But what I'm seeing more and more and becoming kind of a a bigger advocate for is just uh, what people are not doing as well as they should is using analytics for analysis. It's very common for people to use it just for reporting and to look at pretty charts and to see a line go up or down and smile or frown and they're happy or sad. But what not enough people are doing is really uh, asking analytics a question, finding the answer, uh, coming up with an idea, turning it into a, a hypothesis that they can test using analytics, just really using it as a decision support tool, which as the name suggests, the analytics is really what it's supposed to be for. Mm. So what I hear you saying is that a lot of people that are using Google Analytics are simply looking at page views and number of people, and they're stopping there. But what they're not really doing is asking questions like, 
uh, is there a trend going on here? Is that kind of what I hear you saying? Yeah. Reporting on, on your analytics does not affect your marketing. Doing analysis really does affect your marketing. You know, only actions will change outcomes. So, you know, we need to use analytics for analysis. What are, give some examples of the kinds of analysis that you typically do, just so people can understand what that really means. Sure. So if you're looking at, at reports and charts and, and uh, just, you know, you've got dashboards set up, maybe, maybe they're beautiful dashboards with lots of insights there. But that's not actually affecting anything until you are asking a question such as, uh, how are people finding this site? Uh, what social networks are sending us the most traffic? Uh, which social networks are sending us visitors who are most likely to act? Uh, what you know, people on different pages are they seeing it from different devices? Uh, just this morning, I was updating a page on our site. We do a rolling audit. Here's some general advice: audit, update a page on your website once a week at least. You know, keep a rolling audit schedule so you're constantly improving those pages that you might otherwise forget. So we're updating this page, and it's got a right side rail with samples of sites we've built. It's a service page. Do we have? Should that have a limited number of items? Knowing that on a mobile experience, the, the page reorganizes itself, and those might push something else down. Actually, I'm not worried because my analytics told me that only eight percent of visitors to that page are on mobile. Therefore, I'm not going to hesitate to add lots of portfolio samples on the right side with the content on the left, knowing that the responsive mobile view of this really isn't going to affect a large percentage of my visitors. Mm, very interesting. You know, uh, one thing that I did do before Google forced everybody to um, go mobile optimized mm -hmm. was um, I was using a plugin for, um, uh, I was using a plugin that a lot, that kind of converted my blog into a um, mobile optimized site, right? A WP mm -hmm. Touch Pro. And um, one of the things that I was noticing is that I wasn't getting hardly any conversions, sales on my actual um on my actual social media marketing world section of my website for mobile users at all. Hmm. So, um, and then I started asking myself why. So first I was able to look at the fact that there were no sales, according to Google Analytics, for mobile users over this period of time. And I started asking myself why. And I realized that there was a lot of limitations of this theme thing that I was using. So hmm. I actually shut it off and I actually made the site not mobile optimized and all of a sudden, the bounce rate went down, the time on the page went down, and the sales went up. And mm -hmm. that's, some, that's the kind of stuff you're talking about, isn't it? Great example. That's the difference. Just looking at that number uh, doesn't actually make a difference. It's the action that made the difference. So you asked a question, uh, you found the answer, you created a hypothesis, you tested it, and got a better result. So the ROI came from analytics for decision support, not analytics as just a a, you know, a place with pretty reports. Now we've mentioned bounce rate twice. And for some people that aren't Google analytics geeks, they might not know what that means. Can you just kind of elaborate a little bit on, on what it means and whether we should care about it or not? Sure. A bounce rate is a one page visit. So if a visitor comes to a site and it reads just one page, they don't take any other action on that. And they leave the site after that. In other words, analytics does not see a second triggering of the JavaScript uh, on any other page. Then that's considered a bounce it's just a, a, a phrase we use to describe a one-page visit. Whether it matters or not actually depends on what you said at the top. Is this a educational page or is this a service and sales page? Uh, I care about bounce rates for one type of page but not for the other. So if it's a big, long blog article, you wouldn't be surprised if it had a high bounce rate because they were drawn in because of that one article, right? Is that what I hear you saying? 
Exactly. They came for one specific purpose, for one topic. They clicked on one headline. They had one goal, and they might have met that goal beautifully and then left. It's a successful visit for them, which means it, you know, I attracted a visitor. I helped someone, and they left. It didn't really cost me anything, uh, and it doesn't bother me at all to have those people leave the website after just one page. Do you have any statistics on what the typical um, time on a site is, um, or is it just completely highly variable? Well, it would vary a lot, but I think that data is available. You can put, it's not perfect, but Alexa.com is one place where you can put in competitor sites in your industry and see kind of based on your competitive set what you might, what you might get in there. Uh, it depends a lot on the type of site. Is it a media site? Your site would have lots more pages and lots more minutes than most. Uh, some sites are just very simple, informational you know, landing places where people come and get one, one answer and move on quickly. So just a general rule of thumb, I mean, like, you know, is it more than 30 seconds? Is it more than three minutes? I mean, how does someone know if the time on their site is reasonable or not? Is there like a simple calculation based on the amount of content or anything like that? I would say that that generally across lots of analytics accounts, if you try to measure this, a lot of sites will have around one and a half to two minutes as the average time on site. Gotcha. A lot of sites will have maybe 60. This is going to sound high to a lot of people. A lot of, you know, sites that, have, that are where they're active in marketing, good at email, good at social, they'll have 60 to 80% of uh, bounce rates. Wow. Not uncommon, not necessarily a bad thing. Um, and, uh, and so as general, I mean, sure, as general benchmarks, I think those are kind of Very cool. uh, places to think about. It. Okay, let's transition over, Andy, to, um, let's start with uh, educational content, okay? So um, we're creating content for our blog, you know, whoever's listening right now. Um, how do we know whether our quote-unquote educational content is working? What should we be looking at inside of Google Analytics to know? And, and the reason I want to pose this question is because I want to start with a little story, okay? I, um, I know that we, have, we come up first in Google for Instagram apps, and we get a huge amount of page views every single day. And I, gosh, it might be 5,000 page views a day. I know you've seen my Google Analytics, mm -hmm. so you're probably familiar with this. But mm -hmm. um, And I could look at that number and I could say, oh my gosh, this means I need to write a lot more articles about Instagram apps. <laughs> so, you know, th this is like, help us understand how do we interpret as ed con creators of educational material, whether or not, you know, content, you know, this type of content is worth creating more or less based on what the analytics is telling us. Mm-hmm. Because that's a good way to use it, is to find that something's working, a topic's hitting traction, I should do more within that area, put more of that content in a heavy rotation, or create more of that, put it into my publishing calendar. So the kind of metrics, like we were saying, the kind of metrics that are relevant for content marketing content or educational content, those blog, blog content. Uh, bounce rate, as I mentioned, I really don't mind seeing very high bounce rates. I have pages that have 90 plus percent bounce rates. But what I do care about is time on page. Are they really engaging? Are they digging deeper? You know, it's it's really not helpful for them or for me if they if they uh, come to the site and you know ninety five percent leave after two seconds. That's a total waste of time. <laughs> so uh, it's the time on page that I'm watching, and in my site, I see a strong correlation between time on page and high rankings. And a lot of people think this is like a secret Google ranking factor. It's called dwell time. Someone comes to your site from Google, spends you know, five minutes, you know, someone comes to another site from Google for the same phrase, spends five seconds. Google sees that, right? Google owns the analytics, they own Chrome, they own 
the search engine. So dwell time, I think, actually correlates with high rankings. So what I care about is getting, getting visitors to stay for a while. Mm. I'm adding video. I'm putting in lots of images. I want the person to kind of dig in. I'm writing 2,000-word articles that are comprehensive, exhaustive posts on those topics. So that's, that's relevant. But really, you, know, you and I are both focused on some of the same marketing goals, such as list growth. I think that's what we really care about is engagement on the site. You know, all these visitors aren't going to help me at all unless they take some action. So successful educational content converts visitors into subscribers, the same way successful sales content converts visitors into leads or customers. So how do I see if that post is successfully converting visitors into subscribers? I'm using the reverse goal path. It's a report in analytics in the conversion section, and it shows you what the action someone, what the page someone was on before they became before they hit the thank you page. In other words, what blog post were they reading before they subscribed? Okay, hold on one second. Before we get too deep into the reverse goal path, I want to ask a couple questions related to this. Um, and and, and we're going to get back to this in just a second. But um, first of all, going back to um, our content, it's, you know, when we look at content over a 30-day period of time and we just look at, you know, our content, um, uh most people are probably looking at page views, you know, and they're probably looking at, okay, these ones had the most page views. Um, and then, you know, maybe if they're smart, like you're suggesting, they're also looking at time on, on uh, the article, right? Because you can actually mm-hmm. see that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you're alluding that conversions are what matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the end, um, is that the path that we're going down here with this reverse path goals, or is it worth exploring a little bit about, you know, is it even worth looking at page views and is it even worth looking at time on site? Is it even worth sorting like over the last 30 days, which articles had the most traffic at all? I'm just mm-hmm. curious what your thoughts are. No, it, that's, that's super relevant. It's some of the most visible uh, data inside analytics. So a lot of people are going to see that right away. It's uh, what we're talking about now is sort of the top of the funnel. Right, content with high page views is is good cheese. It's attracting our audience, and then at the bottom of the funnel, um, you know, the reverse goal path is going to tell us, you know, is this content a good mousetrap? Is it is it catching the mice we ah, attracted okay. with the cheese? All right, perfect. So let's go down this reverse goal path. So first of all, yeah, describe what that means exactly. Again, sure. So the goal path is the steps that people take on their way to completing a goal. A goal being a thank you page with its unique URL specified in analytics in the goal section. So if uh, it's relevant in the content, in the educational content area, because someone might be doing a lot of different things. They might be on 10 different or 100 different pages before they become a subscriber. It's not a funnel where the person is going through a specific set of pages like a shopping cart checkout process. So we use the reverse goal path because the previous step in this path might be many different pages. They might be reading any of hundreds of different blog posts before they subscribe. So just by pulling up the reverse goal path, you're going to see what the what people were doing right before they subscribed. So if they were reading, by the way, posts, where do you pull that up? Just for people that might want to pause and and actually play along. Sure, sure. So the sections in analytics are literally organized A B C or A A B C: audience acquisition, behavior, conversion. So that's literally the top of the funnel: acquisition, cheese, behavior middle of the funnel, uh, you know, interactions. And then the bottom of the funnel is conversions. So that bottom section there has the goals. So we're looking at the reverse goal path, which is under conversions, goals, reverse goal path. Perfect. Okay, so you pull that up and then what, what, just kind of describe 
since I think you're looking at it right now, describe what people would see when they go to that page. Mm -hmm. So it's a spreadsheet looking data set that has the goal location, the completion, the goal completion location on the left. And there might be many different goals in here. You might have uh, e-commerce purchasers or lead subscribers or you know, new leads or event registrants. So there's a drop-down at the top where you can choose from any of your goals. Just choose the, hopefully you have them set up properly, choose the newsletter subscriber goal in the drop-down. Now everything in that far left column is going to be the same goal. But the next column over, it's going to be all different stuff. It's going to say this blog post, that blog post. It's basically a giant list of all of your content. And you are literally looking at a, at a, a chart now that shows how compelling or how inspirational or how, how well this content triggers that action because the ones at the top are the ones that, that uh, attracted the most subscribers and farther down the list, they attracted fewer. Ah, okay. So this is kind of a way for you to say, okay, if the goal was the thank you page, mm -hmm. um, in the next column, we're going to show you all the pages on your website ordered in the ones that had the best percent or the highest number of people that achieved that goal? Is it either one of those or both or how does that work? Ah, Mike, you just brought up the perfect point. That's, that, that's a very important distinction. This is not the percent. It's just the raw number. So uh, it's a list of all the blog posts or pages that they were looking at right before they subscribed in order of the number of people who subscribed. So what we have here is the raw number. We don't have the conversion rate. So we have to do a little bit of math. We have to move data into a spreadsheet so we can uh, actually divide the total number of people who subscribed to the newsletter after reading each blog post. Divide that by the page views for each post. And that will give you the conversion rate per blog post from visitors into newsletter subscribers, which is amazing information for a marketer. Yeah, and you just give it a date range, right? Yep. You probably, for most marketers, will have to choose a large date range because, uh, you know, the they may not have, you know, millions of newsletter signups. So, um, so, so the, the reason why before exporting all this kind of stuff out of, out of the spreadsheet, I mean like, so I'm imagining on the left here, I've got my thank you page mm -hmm. and then in the, in the center or whatever, to the right of it, I've got a, a list of different articles and mm -hmm. the number of, of, uh, people that have, um, from, you know, from that article, like let's say a hundred people as my top article. Mm -hmm. or a thousand it's going that will help me to know that this particular article has actually been very useful in contributing to the goal that I care about inside the business is that what i hear you saying it's exactly right and now and you're probably thinking the same thing i am what are the 100 things that you would do based on that data put it into heavy social rotation uh create more content that's similar uh put that you know push that uh content to the homepage uh, put it in your homepage slideshow. You know, if you've got uh, uh, an AdWords account, you or, or you're you know buying traffic on Facebook, you know you could you could do so many things with this, knowing that some of your content is literally a hundred times more compelling to visitors and inspiring them to act than other content. Now, I'm nearly positive that there is another way to get at the percentage without having to export it out. I think you can. Isn't there a way in Google Analytics where you can just look at the total page views for a particular article and then you can, um, in the far right, it gives you the option to show the goal and it will, sh it will f you can figure out the percentage because it will show you the page views and then it will show you the goals. Do you understand yeah, what I'm asking? I, I do. In the, uh, in the behavior section, under site content, all pages, there you go. There, 
in the far right, there's a column called page value. And for all of your content, it shows how well that content contributed to the goals of the site in terms of dollars. When we create goals, we, we set dollar amounts, sometimes arbitrary, uh, for every different goal. Ideally, it's a one. It's, if it's one, then you can actually figure out the, yep. as long as you know what that number is, right? So, so, so yep. does that mean we can calculate very easily the percentage by just going back? And I mean, is there another, I guess where I'm going at this is, can't we also look at this by, um, through that report as well? And just uh, sort by the total number of conversions or the percentage or something like that? Uh, you can sort by the page value, which is that chart on the right. You can also filter this report to show you just blog content, which will give you better information. I mean, it, it'll, give you, it'll give you some information. It won't show you the actual conversion rate. And we still have to kind of set these filters up because uh, you might have blog posts that had only one visitor, but that one visitor acted. And so those look like the, the highest performers. Uh, to do it well, you still need to kind of crunch some data and set up little, you know, right. advanced filters to weed out the outliers. So uh, I don't use it as much, but that page value number on the far right can be useful. It's really though the page value and the contribution to total to the goals of each piece of content for the entire site for all the goals. It's not filtered by just newsletter subscribers. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Now, I think an important distinction we ought to talk about is that Google Analytics now kind of defaults to sessions. Um, uh, and But there's also unique sessions, I think, right? So if we're calculating percentage, um, we should probably be looking at unique sessions as the number of people, am I right? And then divide that by the total conversions or should we be looking at total sessions? Uh, it's important to understand that sessions and users are the equivalent of visits and visitors right. and that Google Analytics changed that because they want to be the universal tool, not just for websites, but for apps and apps are users, not visitors. And so, uh, they kind of changed it around on us a little bit. So, uh, every time it, and all of us talk about analytics, we still say visitors, uh, it's synonymous sessions are visits and users are visitors. Um, but when you're calculating a conversion rate, this many people, uh, we had this many subscriptions from this piece of content. Uh, normally, you'd actually probably use page views. So if I had uh, 100 people that subscribed after seeing this piece of content and there were uh, 10,000 page views from that, then I would say that there is a 1% conversion rate uh, from that piece of content, visitors into subscribers. Well, let me ask you this question. Let's just, let me, let me tease this out a little bit with you. Let's just take the number down to something more manageable. Let's say that there was a thousand people that visited a page, mm -hmm. but they had 1300 sessions and let's say you had 100 conversions. Mm. Um, wouldn't it make sense to say that's a 10% conversion? Because even though they came back to that article multiple times, um, it really only was a thousand people. Right. <laughs> this is, uh, you're getting into a zone where I start to think that, you know, I, I'm understanding I've been, I've been, I've been toying with this. That's why I'm asking yeah. you, you know what I mean? Because you can't convert a session, but you can convert a person. That's, that's my rationale. That's the reason I was thinking that, you know? Exactly right. Sessions don't convert. Only people do. Yeah. So uh, that does make sense. The, uh, the difference, though, in calculating it in different ways is relevant to the extent that you're going to use that information differently. So would you find a more meaningful insight if you pay attention to users or pay attention to sessions? Uh, maybe, as but long really as what you're I'm looking for, right? <laughs> yeah, as long as it's consistent. And what I want to find is the relative difference between pieces of content. So the actual specific, there's very few specific numbers in analytics that will be totally accurate. 
In fact, there probably aren't any. <laughs> right. So mostly what we're looking for is like the relative difference in performance from X to Y, you know, different time frames, different tests, different pieces of content, different channels. Uh, that will lead to insights. Uh, don't expect to ever really get super accurate data in analytics. And maybe we don't really need it. All right. Well, this has been awesome. So we've been talking up to this point about how to analyze whether or not your content is working. And the key take-home points that Andy has said here is to really understand how well that content is converting to whatever goal you're tracking. And reverse path goals is obviously the the way to, to very easily get to the bottom of that. Um, but now let's shift from not just content, but actual sales kind of materials, you know, and, and I think we can throw in here any kind of uh, page that's designed to get someone to take an action, like sign up for our newsletter page or purchase our product page. I mean, these are pages that are obviously not meant to be quote unquote, like a blog post or educational material. They're meant to generate leads or generate sales. How do we analyze those pages differently than what we've been talking about so far? Yeah, I just love this conversation because I don't hear this much. And so I just first want to say, we're talking really about two kinds of visitors. There's two kinds of visitors to websites and there's two kinds of visits and two kinds of content and uh, they show up in two different ways in analytics. So this is an important message that a lot of marketers maybe don't think about. But this is a completely different goal now, a different visitor with different mindset, the potential buyer. So uh, yes, absolutely. We, We treat them differently in analytics. We're going to look for different different behaviors and we're going to track different metrics. So in these cases, what a normal visitor will do on a lead generation site, for example, is go through a series of pages before they have enough trust and information and questions answered to take the action and become a lead. So now we really do care a lot about bounce rates. Uh, it matters a lot to us whether the person exited on the site from a, from a service page or if they kept flowing down through the site to subsequent pages eventually making it to the thank you page after the contact form. So really, uh, pages per visit is a more important thing. These visits, as you watch them travel through the site, you're going to see that they actually spend less time, much less time on pages than they would on a 2,000-word blog post with a video at the top. Uh, And so pages per visit becomes important. Exit percentages become important. And we're going to use a tool, different report in the conversion section called the funnel visualization Okay, so um, just to clarify so everybody understands what Andy is saying here, is that a person who's coming to your website with the intent to purchase has a totally different frame of mind than a person who's just being drawn in by, quote unquote, an article. Is that what I hear you saying, Andy? And because of that, we want to try to look for the behavior signals that indicate buying patterns or abandonment and that kind of stuff, right? Absolutely true. Cool. So keep going. Talk to me about what did you say, what did you say this tool was and where do we find it? Yeah, so the funnel visualization is a report that shows the step drop of every of every um, series of pages in a process. So for an e-commerce site, which not everyone has, but it's easy to talk about them this way, would have a shopping cart, a checkout page, and a thank you page. So uh, an event registration site might have an event detail page, and then an event registration page, and then the thank you page. They always end up at the thank you page, and a thank you page is basically synonymous with goals in analytics. And again, it's JavaScript on pages, so the whole point of web marketing is to get people to those thank you pages. So the funnel visualization shows you what percentage of people dropped off at each step in a process. Even if it's a very short process, it will show you. Now, where do we find this uh, in Google Analytics? Mm -hmm. It's literally the next report underneath reverse goal path. 
So ah. conversions, goals, funnel visualization. Okay. So um, when I hear the word funnel visualization, I actually think it's going to show me a real funnel. Does it do that? <laughs> it kind of does. It's like a, there's an arrow that's wider at the top than at the bottom. So it's a little bit of a funnel. Cool. So, so what can you discover from this um, function of Google Analytics? Sure. Well, as long as it's set up properly, and that means telling, you know, when you create the goal, you have to tell it what the previous step was in the goal. And you also can tell analytics that it, that, that step is required or not. Uh, it will tell you, for in, a, in the simplest terms on a lead generation site, here's the simplest and shortest funnel, how many people made it to the contact page uh, and what percentage of those people made it to the thank you page. Now, for those that didn't proceed to the thank you page, it shows you the total number that left and where they went. So, mm. for example, uh, and I learned this, this is from, I don't know, maybe eight years ago. I, I had a contact form that had like, it had like 10 questions on it. And I was asking people for all kinds of stuff, thinking it's going to give me a warmer lead. Crazy idea, right? Because you can ask those, those questions to the lead once you're talking to them on the phone. So I cut this form down from like 10 questions down to five, I think it was. And literally doubled my conversion rate. Wow! And I and I saw it right there in the funnel report, funnel visualization. So y- you can see how many people got there if they left where they went, and if they continued, what percentage continued. So here's an example. Let's say there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of sites for maybe an event site. If you look at your event site and you see that there's a lot of people who go to the event registration page and then they go back to the event detail page. Uh, they must have been looking for information that they didn't find. So this report will show that if people are bouncing back and forth between pages. Like maybe they're wanting to know what the price is and we have that on a registration page. They're going to click there and they're going to see whether they can even afford it before they dig deeper. Could that be part of what that's telling you? It's a great example because a lot of e-commerce sites have done that, you know, um, and all kinds of sites, registration sites, because they might don't don't show the final price up front, or people want to know if there's a promotion code or something else on that page, or the date. Sometimes, you know, you just have to put, you know, are all the most important, most basic questions answered? So, it's really um, uh, this will give you clues about is there something missing, a piece of information that would answer an important question that you can put into that to keep the wheels moving and keep that visitor flowing through the funnel. Uh, This is going to help you optimize that funnel to maximize that conversion rate. Very interesting. Um, You know, in our case, obviously, uh, Social Media Success Summit is our most active event. And we've got We've got a speaker page, we've got an agenda page, we've got a home page, we've got a frequently asked questions page and testimonials and all that kind of stuff. Um, so does, does the reverse funnel thing kind of show me which pages were the most popularly viewed pages before they actually made the purchase? Is that kind of what I can tell from this? Mm-hmm. But in that case, the purchase, the, the previous step before the purchase is almost always going to be that, I think you've got like the register page. Right. And uh, the page before that is probably going to be the main, the main landing page, SMS Summit. Right. So I probably, uh, in your case, it might not be as insightful to look at the reverse goal path, but there's other reports too that will show you, and here we're measuring the performance of sales-based content, uh, the navigation summary. So let's say I go to your registration page or anyone's registration page on any site. Just click on that page in the content report. So I'm in behavior, site content, all pages. Now choose a specific page. Maybe it's a sales page or a page in a checkout process or a conversion process. And then there's a little tab up at the top above the chart. It says navigation summary. 
this is a very similar report, but it's for any piece of content, not just the the uh, the conversion funnel. So the navigation summary will show you where people how people got to that page that you've just clicked on, and then if they left where they went. Uh, and so you can sometimes see people bouncing back and forth. They're clearly looking for more information. It, it's going to give you a clue to do things like answer another important question on that page, add some social proof like a testimonial to that page, uh, build up the content to kind of uh, keep the visitor traveling forward through the process. Something must be wrong if, they're, if a high percentage of visitors are just bouncing back and forth between two pages. Wow, that is so cool. So in summary, the funnel visualization page is different than the reverse path goal in what way? Just one more time, if you could explain what the, the reason you might do that. Sure. Reverse goal path is more useful in measuring the performance of educational content because there are many possible places from which that person might subscribe to the newsletter. Funnel visualization is better for measuring conversion from sales-based content because more likely you've got a specific flow of pages, such as visitors going from a contact us page to a thank you page. So they're not going from anywhere to that page. They're coming through a specific funnel. So reverse goal path, probably a good tool for measuring things like conversions to subscribers using your, you know, in your content, marketing right. content, funnel visualization. It's a little bit more about sales, about uh, transactional activities. Now, I don't know if you are familiar with the e-commerce uh, option inside of Google Analytics, Andy, but um, we use one shopping cart as our merchant system and it has e-commerce hooks in it for Google Analytics. Mm-hmm. And we put in some code and it actually tells us, um, it actually will assign um, somehow, I don't know if that's just a fancy way of making a goal. Do you know what the e-commerce thing is and how that might differ than just a goal? Sure. So e-commerce is simply turned on using the, from the admin section and doesn't need to be set up as a specific as a specific goal in the same way. As soon as you do that, it lights up all of your uh, e-commerce reports and analytics can somehow, I don't know how the engineers make, make this work. It actually tells you the total dollar transaction. I mean, it's amazing. Yep, so it does. And that's, that's really cool because then I would imagine you could do some amazing things with that extra piece of data in there, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah. It shows you product performance. It shows you revenue performance. Uh, if you, There's a new thing now in analytics that show, it, it's called... Um, uh, I think advanced e-commerce setup. This is a uh, there's a new way to add more reports to your analytics. It's called enhanced e-commerce reporting, and en- enhanced e-commerce reporting will show you these uh, even more insightful reports, such as multi-channel funnels. These will tell you things like how many times did the average visitor have to come to the site before buying? That's or crazy. How many, yeah, how many days? You know, is that like the that's called path length. There's another one for time lag. Uh, how uh, how quickly did people buy? Did they buy after uh, the first day, or um, uh, what was what was the lag in number of days? Some some sites uh, people have to come back several times over several days before they'll take an action. Well, if you are using a third party merchant system like we do, chances are pretty good they do have this e commerce thing plugged into it, and you know, in our case, we're actually t- sending someone off our site to the e commerce thing and back. And the good news is that somehow by empowering, you know, Google Analytics to have this extra data, it can, it can connect all the dots together. And I think it's pretty dang powerful and frankly underutilized. Andy, we could talk for hours about Google Analytics. Um, and I know a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, this is so amazing because now I can actually look at my sales stuff and look at it differently than my content stuff and really dig into it. Um, 
Andy, you're going to be speaking at our upcoming Social Media Success Summit. Can you just spend like a few seconds talking about what you're going to be talking about, and then we'll conclude with where people can find out more about you? Sure, absolutely. So I'm a little bit of an evangelist for using analytics in this practical, applicable way. So I'm going to be focused on uh, a variety of different tactics usable in analytics that range from beginner level to the more advanced level. So there should be things for everybody in there. Uh, We're going to go through on almost like a little guided tour, the practical lessons you can learn, the questions you can ask, the insights you can discover for each of the main sections, audience, acquisition, behavior, and conversions. So it should be high value. I'm really excited. I'm honored to be back. Well, and Andy really is our lead Google Analytics expert. I mean, we've never, well, there's a few people we've come across, but Andy is definitely one of the top guys in the world in the, at this, in my opinion. Um, the, the guys that, that the other guys that I'm thinking about are, are um, not as able to communicate as clearly as Andy is, and he is really an excellent communicator. So th- thank you, Andy, for being on the show, for being one of our presenters at the summit. And why don't you tell people where they can discover more about you and whatever else you've got going on? Sure. Uh, I post every two weeks on my own site at uh, orbitmedia.com slash blog. Uh, I'm also uh, at your events, Mike, and honored to, to, to be at those things. The book, Content Chemistry, is something that you can find online. Just search for Content Chemistry, and uh, you can get that also through our site. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, and I'm obviously on social media. My Twitter handle is my last name. It's at Crestodina, like it sounds. Well, everybody, I strongly recommend you check out Andy Crestodina's website for sure. The guy is really, really brilliant, and you're going to learn a lot. Andy, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Well, I hope you got as much out of this show as I did. I know that uh, Google Analytics can sometimes be a monster, and having people like Andy help reveal how to use it is really powerful. If there's anything that we mentioned in today's show and you just didn't catch it, you can visit the show notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 162. That stands for episode 162. Also, if you're new to the show, don't miss a future episode of the show. Hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast player that you're using. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. If you're like so many fellow marketers and creators and entrepreneurs, you're probably wondering, how do I put AI to work? Well, be sure to listen to the AI Explored podcast, a new show from Social Media Examiner, hosted by yours truly, Michael Stelzner. Again, check out the AI Explored podcast.